0: You're listening to the Full-Time Function Musician Podcast, episode two.
1: You're listening to the Full-Time Function Musician Podcast, the number one resource for growing your function musician business. If you're a solo wedding singer, part of a 12-piece luxury show band, or anything in between, and want to learn from other successful musicians, you're in the right place.
0: Hello and welcome to the Full-Time Function Musician Podcast. Here we go. Episode two is here. I think this was the second episode I actually recorded, and um, I really enjoyed this conversation we had. We got into some some of the struggles that come with being self-employed, like buying a house for example, and how to overcome that. Um, I'm still getting the technical side of things sorted, and as I said, this was one of the first episodes that I recorded. There's a bit of lag between us, which made it quite difficult to have a flowing conversation. But we worked with it, and hopefully now it's edited, you won't even notice. Um, I think I've now sorted that issue as well, but I'm kind of learning on the job here, so yeah, we'll see. Um, anyways, that's enough from me. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Yo, hello and welcome to the Full-Time function Musician Podcast. On this week's episode we have Bob McQuaid, a jazz and swing singer from Ireland who's been a full-time function musician for the past 11 years now. Bob
1: Welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you very much, Jack. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolute pleasure, mate. Um, from our brief chat before, it sounds like you're going to have some really interesting things to talk about and some things I haven't discussed before. So yeah, just to kick things off, man, I'd love to go into a bit of background about how you got started in in the industry um, and how you sort of get in your first gigs, that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, I suppose the best thing to start off would be to say that my parents were both part-time uh, musicians. They, they gigged at the weekends, they had a job during the week. Um, so I grew up very much with music in the house, um, Mom and my dad would have the band over, they'd be rehearsing, and um, we had a piano in the house from when I was very, very young. Awesome. Um, what
0: kind of musicians were they?
1: So they were, they were pub musicians. They would play kind of, you know, the charts, kind of function band type musicians, basically um yeah like i mean at their height they would have been they would have been one of the top kind of function bands in ireland probably around the let's say the late 80s 90s maybe into 2000s and um, there would have been a small collection of bands that would have uh, kind of did a lot of the events and the, the big gigs and um, but for me music really started when i when i went to do an audition for my uh, my school show when i was about nine or ten years of age and um, it was my parents, for, for all the fact that they were in the professional music industry, they never pushy with me. They never really forced me. It was more just kind of, if I wanted to do it, I could. And this is my first time where I thought, yeah, listen, I'll, I'll go and audition for the, for the play and for the musical and, and see how that goes. But it, like I think I said to you previously, it was very much, I wanted to get off class. I was a nine, 10-year-old boy who was kind of mischievous and wanted to, to skip class if possible. So I went and I actually used to be uh, late to school every day and they always announce in the morning, who got through to the next round, and so I used to come in late every day, and my friends would tell me, "Oh, you you got through," and I'd be like, "Oh, did I? Okay, okay." And this went on for a few weeks until eventually I was I was cast in the lead role.
0: Awesome, yeah, um, I totally feel you about the skipping class. I'm pretty sure that's why I um I started guitar lessons at school was because they were doing it during class, um. But from there, I just started gigging
1: yeah yeah so basically that was kind of my first introduction to it progressed through different theater schools all that kind of thing and moved my way up, all through my teens all, all amateur stuff and I loved it um, but always with the kind of idea in my head that i wanted to to work professionally and that's where i wanted to go and so when i kind of shared that with my parents and we talked about it they kind of said well look you know you're you're too young to to gig in pubs. the had him in my, my mid-teens. And so they said, why don't you come along to our gigs? And obviously, you know, the, the pubs aren't going to mind a 16-year-old. If he's with us, he won't mind. Come with us and get up on half halftime of our gigs when we're taking a break and do a 15-minute slot on your own and kind of experience what a, an audience is like, what a pub is like, you know, punters dealing with a microphone, all that kind of stuff, and kind of learn that way. And so I kind of learned on the job from kind of 16 to 18, basically.
0: Nice, yeah. And I guess started getting that um buzz of uh performing and just wanting more of it
1: yeah doubt. like i said i really first learned that rush of performance when i was doing uh, the, the drama stuff I, I actually once said to, to my, my mother when i came home from my show i said you know i was shaking backstage and she said oh god you poor thing and i said no 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 ma'am i just couldn't wait to get on i just i just wanted to get onto the stage and, and do my thing you know so that was that was where i first tasted that and then when i went into the gigging and in the pubs, there was the excitement of it being about just me about me just being on the stage on my own and having to create all of this myself there was no set there was no big band at that time it was just myself and some backing tracks and i just had to to create the show all by myself and paint the picture which was a, a exciting challenge for me
0: and did you find jazz straight away, or did you start on, on something else and, and move on to jazz?
1: Yeah, it, it was a bit of both. I mean, I think, like, for me, really, the, the, in relation to the genre, style, kind of what music I was going to play, I, I kind of had to look at myself and listen to my own voice and find out kind of where it sat. I'll be perfectly honest. As, as a teenager, you know, I went through puberty and, and I was a soprano when I was 12 or 13. And uh, going through puberty, the voice changed an awful lot. And suddenly my higher range wasn't there anymore and all my friends could hit these notes and I couldn't. And it was really infuriating for me and I wanted to find kind of where my place was. And if I'm being perfectly honest, you know, Michael Bublé came along at a time that that was really good for me because I heard somebody on the radio with a similar style or tone or even just registered as me. And I kind of went, okay. And that kind of opened the door a little bit for that for me. And so I kind of started listening to it, started to sing it and and, and kind of went from there.
0: Awesome. So obviously you were going out with your parents at first, but when did you start to venture out into your own gigs?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was in my mind, uh, like I said, all through that time when I turned 18, um, I wanted to start kind of looking for gigs. Um, so my dad was there. I offered myself up to do a charity gig for free, um, in the, in the local hotel and uh, when I was there my dad kind of acted as my my agent or my manager and he just kind of went and spoke to the management in the hotel and said look my son he's a young talented singer he's doing his charity event tonight in your in your venue can you have a look at him and see what you think so so he did and he liked what he saw and he said look we'll keep you in mind and that was kind of where we were and I was kind of like okay we'll see what happens from there and about two or three weeks later I got a phone call saying someone's let us down last minute so I was eating my dinner he said could you come up in two hours and and do a gig and i said uh, yeah okay so I, I jumped up and my parents had all the equipment so i could borrow that and i went down and, and did my did my first show for a group of american tourists and um, down in my local hotel and yeah it went really well and on the night then the manager offered me 20, 20 dates um on that day so uh, that really got me going
0: yeah i mean that sounds like a bit of luck but also um putting yourself in the position to be able to find that luck in the first place
1: yeah it's, sorry, just to touch on that, Jack, it's completely true. And actually, I found that happens more often than not in the music industry. You, you definitely need luck, but you've got to put yourself in as many places as you possibly can to, to get lucky, if you know what I mean. Exactly as you said.
0: Well, yeah, um, you make your own luck, as I say. Um, but moving on from there slightly, I know from our previous conversation, there was a tour pretty early on in your career.
1: Yeah, very early on. So actually it was kind of coming around the same time as I got that gig in the hotel. It was all very, very close, close together. I was on a show called The Voice. I know you guys have that over in the UK, but it was the Irish version of it um, that same year when I was 18. And uh, I was very lucky. I was able to turn two chairs, uh, Keen from, from Westlife and, and Sharon Corr from The Course. They both turned for me on that show and, and liked my voice um i ended up going with sharon and going on to her team and moving on to the next stage which is the battles and fortunately i was i was eliminated at that stage but i met some great people great people in the industry uh, within that show and one of them was there uh, was a man called david hayes an absolute musical genius he's done done everything and um, river dance all yeah, oh, just millions of things he's just a, a brilliant musician great guy but um he, he took to, took a liking to me and my voice and basically um, two months after I filmed The Voice he, uh, he offered me a tour to go to Germany with an Irish production called Irish Dreams so that was my actually first proper professional gig I went across to Germany for three weeks and we did I think we did 18 shows in 20 days yeah so it's amazing
0: Wow yeah that must have been a pretty exciting experience and I um, imagine you learned a lot from it how did you find that transition from playing pubs and things to I'm assuming much bigger stages
1: yeah, it, it was funny for me. I was mean, the change that I found was how quick everything had to happen. That was, the, that was the biggest change because my experience that day, like I said, was in the, in the, in the hotel by myself. So I, I'm dictating how fast everything goes uh, generally. Uh, in the shows, the, the theater shows I've been doing, which were a great preparation as well. But again, they come across months and months of rehearsal. You know, it's, it's a long process. Whereas this was, I got a phone call. And I had to be in the studio the following week. Then I had rehearsals for the following two weeks. And then we were in Germany. So it was really like, it, it was go, go, go. You got to know your stuff tomorrow. I mean, he once said, famously said to me, um, here's seven songs. Do you know any of them? I said, no. And he said, well, come back in tomorrow and knowing them all. And I just was like, what? I, I'd, never, I'd never had experienced that before. But he pushed me. And he pushed me, first of all, because he had to. But second of all, because he obviously believed that I could do it. And so that, that was the biggest that was the biggest kind of change and kind of eye-opening moment for me. But in relation to the size of the stage and and that kind of of thing, I was always, again, like I told you that story about the excitement of getting on, the bigger the stage, the more fun it was for me. I didn't fear the bigger stage. I wanted the bigger stage all the time. And so when we played some huge venues over there, it just, I was, yeah, I was in complete awe. We actually played a bunch of venues that the Beatles played back in the 60s, which was really cool as well at the time.
0: Oh, wicked, yeah. I was a musician when I was younger, but um, stage fright was just something I couldn't really get past. I I guess that's why I went into more of a behind the scenes role as a career. It uh, doesn't sound like something you struggled with though, which is Lucky.
1: <laughs> I, I definitely am I, I look I, I, it's not a it's not a, a cockiness or anything like that I just had a lot of self-confidence um, since I've been very young and I am lucky to have it. there's no doubt about it. It's a natural thing I, I've had for a long time which is which is great. Do, do you mind me asking just in relation to, did, did you do a lot of gigs in pubs? pubs and hotels and that kind of thing or or was it wedding bands uh
0: so i was in an originals band not a function band um and we weren't we weren't huge or anything we had just played yeah uh, toilet venues and pubs up and down the country um so nothing quite to your scale yeah i I was just curious the reason i was going to ask was was because if, if you
1: had said yes i would have said that i can relate to you in a sense that You know, it can be quite damaging for a lot of musicians. Obviously, that wasn't your experience, but for a lot of young musicians trying to start out in pubs, like some people can be really, really mean at that stage, like really, really not nice and say some horrible and do some horrible things to young musicians trying to start out in their career. Um, I mean, like to go back again, I was a very confident guy I, I, I believed in myself I thought I was good at what I, what I did or what I do um, so I was able to shake a lot of it but I have to say I do say quite regularly to friends that aren't in the industry you know it's not all sunshine and, and fairy tales it's some tough nights and I think some people definitely can't handle it you know and particularly for young young musicians starting off
0: yeah, I mean, is there anything that comes to mind specifically that happened to you when you were when you were just starting out that maybe even almost stopped you from from doing? Yeah, well, there's, there's two stories
1: that uh, there's two stories that come to mind. I mean, nothing that ever was going to make me stop because this is just who I am. It's just one of those things. It's it's literally in me. It's like I, doing everything else just doesn't make sense to me. But the first story is that I um, was doing one of my earliest gigs and I was playing a bit of keyboard. I was singing with my friend. who was playing the guitar and did some harmonies. And we were very young. We were very green. We weren't particularly good. We weren't very polished. But look, we were starting off. We were trying to trying to do something. And uh, we went to this. But my dad knew the owner. He got me a gig. We went to the gig. And there's very few people in the bar. But we were playing away. And at one, at one stage, some guy stands up and he shouts, will you two ever shut up? you know and uh, i just laughed and i just said into the microphone i said unfortunately they're actually paying us to be here so i said uh, we have to <laughs> we have to fill, fulfill our obligations but once that's done sir you know we'll we'll be out the door don't you worry and it was the first time that i i, I really realized that you know what you know, especially in the pub scene, not everybody wants to hear what you're going to play or not everyone's going to think you're good or not everyone's going to like it, you know. That was the first experience I had. Now, I laughed it off. I mean, I thought it was funny. I didn't, it didn't hurt my feelings. I laughed at this guy who did it, but it, it definitely opened my eyes to it. And and that brings me on to the second story, which is it's definitely not a funny one, unfortunately, but I did a gig many years later when I was much more experienced on my own doing solo with, with the backing tracks, um, I did a gig in this pub and it was a particular man who didn't like what I was playing. Loads of people were enjoying it. Loads of people were clapping and you know dancing and singing along with me and really enjoying the gig. This guy didn't like my music at all and unfortunately he made a horrific, horrific gesture down in the audience and um, basically saying he wanted to put an end to himself not just the music um, which is even difficult for me to even say but it was just horrific and i looked down at them and and you know my first feeling was anger and and i wanted to take action and, but you know you have to remain professional and yeah i i did it in a creative way um, i definitely referenced him in the gig on the microphone two people but i just had to do it in a in a clever way and not not make an incident on like a scene because at the end of the day i was working i was on stage but yeah look I, that's i just wanted to reiterate that and i'm glad you asked that question zach because i think it's important to say, look, my, my, my life is great in relation to my, my career, but what I do for a living. I, I love what I do for a living. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, there's some, some dark parts to it. And that night, for example, was, was definitely one of them.
0: Yeah. I am guess I'm quite fortunate that nothing uh, like that has happened to me, but I'm sure loads of people out there can relate to things like that. Um, and there's some sucky people out there. Um, but yeah, just to move on slightly. Um, so you you did the German tour. Did, did anything come from that? Did you get any bigger and better gigs off the back of that? So when I
1: came back, I mean, that particular group, they do a lot of different things. I didn't work with them again, but I, you know, worked with a lot of people off the back of that, if you know what I mean. So people that they worked with, I worked with, different, different characters. Actually, one of the guys on the tour, for example, um, he was a friend of mine for, for a long time. Um, Jake Curran is his name. He's actually Niall Horan's guitarist and MD now. And that was his first tour, believe it or not. Um, so the two of us were on tour together at, at that stage. So there was definitely people I've met. And there's a lot of, uh, l- the rest of the band, there were kind of quite famous Irish musicians as well here uh, here in Ireland. But in relation to direct work, no, it didn't follow on to, directly for me. But like I said, it was around the time when The Voice came out. So, and I was kind of really just starting to go out into the pubs and, and, and gig. So I got a little bit of a boost from that. I got a, bit, a little bit of a lift, got a few extra, a few extra, euro on on a few of the gigs if you like and just with the voice the voice tag and the voice name and just helped me to kind of propel my my regular gigging kind of career i suppose that stage
0: did you use that as a part of your marketing strategy then um and what kind of things were you doing at that stage to get gigs was it social media or just going out and networking
1: yeah so at the time i did um i mean later on later on i had to drop it because it then became a stigma nearly you know it became I was it just it became a negative further down the road, but at, at the time at the start when I was first doing it, yeah, it was great. I, I used it on all our all our posters, all our posts, advertising, all that kind of stuff, just trying to make the most out of what it was, the opportunity that I had really, you know. Um, in relation to marketing. Yeah. I mean, I did a bit of marketing myself on, on social media, but really it was more what you said previously, getting to know people knocking on doors in relation to, to pubs and venues, and then also just getting to know some agents. But the agents loved it because they, they could use us all the time. They could say, for example, very simply in the phone call, we've got a guy that was on the voice. So he stands out from the rest of our, our you know, portfolio of, of artists. And then they would want to book me then off the back of it, which, which gave me a lot of work. To starting off, which was, which was fantastic. You know,
0: how did that become a negative in the end? For me,
1: it, it felt what I felt like the further I got away from it, the longer ago it, it was, the more I felt that, that I needed that to keep me relevant, that I needed that to be a selling point for me now. Whereas what I felt in myself was that I progressed an awful lot since that time. I'd improved a lot. I, I'd grown a lot in many different ways, and it was a long time ago. So what I found was that when I got to a certain point, it's a bit like a graph. You know, it was going up, 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 and then it just kind of plateaued, and then it started to, to drop. That's how I felt about it. So what I, I, I won't say I distanced myself from it, but what I would say is that I would always say, oh yeah, I was on the Voice when I was much younger. Yeah, it was a great experience. That's what it became for me because I didn't want to be the guy, just the guy that was on the Voice. I want, I still want to be more than that, and I felt that that just held me back. Uh, a little bit towards going
0: forward yeah that makes total sense uh so what sort of age were you at this point
1: so this probably carries me into my kind of early early to mid 20s i would say um at this stage definitely you know four or five years 22 23 something like that um was when i kind of really felt that and i wanted to go and it was the same thing not only just just the voice but also the buble kind of connection i wanted to remove that not the music but the again the advertising the marketing the connection i didn't want to be anybody else i just wanted to be me and and have my own artist profile have my own you know style my own just my own way of doing things and uh that was a big change that i kind of had in my early 20s where i suppose i wasn't copying or i didn't want to be like anybody else i wanted to just be me and i wanted what i was doing to be good enough for what I was trying to achieve. So that's where my focus kind of turned in my, in my early twenties then.
0: Yeah. I guess that comes down to like branding and having your own brand, brand identity. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you've achieved that now? Mm,
1: yeah. So, you know, with the the music industry itself, there's so many different avenues and you just got to be clear, I suppose, in what, in what you want. I mean, there's definitely some things, some areas that I would like my brand to be much stronger. And in relation to, being more seen as more of a, you know, an artist rather than just a function musician. Trying to have both of those things at the same time is difficult. To, to make a living, it's necessary, but it can be hard to play both both sides. And I suppose the, the original artist or, or just being kind of me, like I said, that part is probably not exactly where I want it to be. Um, but in relation to creating a profile for myself, in relation to my, my commercial work, my professional work, um, within Ireland, yeah, it's grown. It's grown massively. Um, people within the industry, you know, they, they would know who I am. You know, they would know who I am. Not not across the board. It's very specific on what I do. But I work with a lot of good agents, which I know obviously, and I have good personal relationships with them. And then obviously, I know a lot of the high end musicians because I book them. I work with them. We're on the same events. We're on the same gigs and so yeah my profile has definitely grown uh, in that way which has helped with the career as well definitely
0: just a quick break for an advert top professional musicians use Gigio to manage their bookings and admin it's an easy to use web-based software that takes care of your inquiries contracts invoices payments and reports it generates professional PDF contracts in seconds and allows your clients to agree them online quickly and conveniently it will even automatically update the diary on your phone read what other top musicians say about Gigio right now and take their 30-day free trial at getgigio.com that's g-e-t-g-i-g-g-i-o.com awesome I guess that kind of brings us now to present time um so yeah could you tell us a little bit about where your career is at now what you're up to that kind of thing
1: yeah so like I said before it's kind of there's kind of two parts two parts to me like my commercial side and my artistic side. So my artistic side has taken a little bit of a back step recently. And um, just, I've actually just had, I became a dad last year um, and I have uh, another, another kid on the way next year. So my, my, my appetite for risk is a little bit lower than it, than it would normally be. Um, but my my portfolio for the last few years really has been I've been doing a lot of theatre shows. So I'm trying to move away from just the, the commercial stuff and put on shows myself and sell tickets and trying to create an angle of how I can keep myself in it, but also make sure that it's it's marketable and it's commercial. And so I've done three theatre shows <coughs> excuse me, that have been very successful in kind of, you know, two hundred to three hundred seater venues in Ireland um, that I've been, been very happy with. So we've done a few of them and there's a few kind of in the works at the moment, but nothing, nothing to announce just yet. And then from a commercial point of view, um, I suppose we're we're coming into Christmas season now for me. So it's, uh, it's just been absolute mayhem. The last few weekends have just been crazy. And then as I say to my partner almost every year, I say goodbye to her on the 1st of December and I say hello to her after New Year's Eve. That's uh, pretty, pretty standard for me. So um, yeah, really, really busy time of the year. Um, Really kind of looking forward to getting stuck into it.
0: Well, firstly, congratulations on the baby. Yeah, I imagine that's changed things quite a lot in terms of gigging. I know you mentioned you're not quite as ready to take risks as maybe you once were. And I'm sure your time has become a lot more valuable with wanting to spend more time with your family. But how how has that change affected your career in recent years? Mm.
1: So it's been a complete change. It's a life change for me. So I'm actually, I'm a stay at home dad now during the day. So I look after my little girl full time, and then I work at, at the, in the evenings at the weekends. Um, so it's a complete life change for me altogether. Um, but an amazing one. I get to spend so much time with, with my kid, it's, it's fantastic. And I think it's one thing, again, that, that I just wanted to say in relation to musicians. Something that doesn't get said enough is that, you know, because of the kind of lifestyle we live, a lot of the time, times people can just see the negatives in it. Um, but the positives, are obviously, I mean, from what we do, we love what we do, and then we, you know, we can get well paid, et cetera, et cetera. But from a family man point of view, I mean, like I said, I get to look after my kid and still be able to go out to work on the, on the weekends or in the evenings. So there's a great balance there for, for myself and my family. But um, life change is, is huge. Yeah, I mean, you know, I used to do three, four gigs, for, you know, Thursday to Sunday, and I'd be out late Sunday night and I'd wake up whatever time I wanted on Monday. I had nothing to do because it was my day off. Now I wake up at 7 o'clock and have to give porridge to my little girl. So it's, uh, it's definitely a big change.
0: And has that affected your relationship with your partner as well? I assume your schedules don't match up that well if you're working evenings and weekends. I guess you don't get to spend as much time together as you did before. Yeah,
1: yeah. We've had to kind of really manage that, I suppose, because I mean, in one way, in one way, we're really lucky. But first of all, I I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here in Ireland, childcare is like a second mortgage. It's so, so expensive. It's crazy. Um, so, you know, me being able to be here and look after our child from a financial point of view is hugely beneficial. Not only the fact that I get to raise our child and we don't have to put her in childcare. So we're very, very lucky in those ways and my, my partner's a teacher so she can be home kind of in the afternoon so we might get a few hours together even before i go out to a gig so no look what i say is yeah we have to manage it and we have to try and make sure we get time for each other because it is hard we live opposite schedules i mean she works during the week and i work on the weekend so you know it, it is difficult without a doubt but i think more more often than not we count ourselves as very lucky that we're able to do that you know what i mean and that we're able to um always have somebody with our, with our kids, I suppose. And then we try and see each other as much as we can in between.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, but I imagine childcare is pretty expensive over here as well. Um, So you must be saving a fortune there. And again, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, Um, but just to change direction a little back to the marketing side of things, I feel networking has been a big part of the growth of your career, but is there anything else that you have found useful in growing your business?
1: Yeah, I, I suppose, I suppose it's an extension of networking, but it's not necessarily just, when I say that, when we say the word networking, it it, it sounds very deliberate. It sounds very much like we're going to go to this place. We're going to talk to these people. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's like an act, you know, whereas what I would say is, you know, you know, going to something and showing your face, just seeing something, not actually even saying anything, just going to see a band that play regularly, go to see them. Just got to see them on a regular basis. You know, go and sing with a band or do an act and do something that you wouldn't normally do, which opens a whole door to this whole other area of the industry that you may not know. And it, can, it might be something that you necessarily want, this particular industry, but when you go in and you speak to them, suddenly you meet other people and suddenly you get to do stuff that you want to do. And it can be a, a snowball effect. I suppose what I would just say is don't be, don't be closed-minded as to what necessarily is going to bring you success or it'll help you in this industry. There's no straight line. There's no one way. There's no one way to do it. It doesn't exist, you know. It it really, really doesn't. What I would say is like, from a marketing point of view, again, it just, it just depends. If you're trying to market yourself as an original artist, I mean, it's something that I found difficult to do. I think, again, just from looking at other people, and I'm, I'm still trying to find this myself, but looking uh, at other people, it just seems that the people that are the most successful are the ones that are the most genuine to themselves, and 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 they be themselves no matter what kind of content they put up and not try to be the best and the most perfect and everything to look fantastic. I mean, and I, as a young person in this industry, definitely went through that. I went through a stage where I couldn't put anything up unless it was absolutely the best, perfect, and most amazing thing in the whole world. When in reality, a lot of the time, yeah, for commercial stuff, that's great. You know, for selling, it's great. But in relation to actually trying to create fan bases or trying, you know, just... following i think it's i think it's so much more important to be yourself and and show as much of your real self as you possibly can and if people like it that's when you're going to have fans not trying to be something else
0: i mean yeah i feel like i've definitely had that struggle with this podcast it's taken me a long time to get it out because i just wanted it to be perfect and i'm well i'm sure anyone listening right now can tell it's far from perfect um but i definitely believe that done is better than perfect especially if it's holding you back um there's, there's always time to adjust and and make things better as you go on. Um, but anyway, you've, you've got your function stuff and your original stuff. Do you split them up or do you keep them completely separate in terms of social media and marketing, or do you kind of umbrella it into one thing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So generally I keep it under, under one, generally keep it under one. And I, some stuff I omit, some of my commercial stuff I don't put on it. And, and the reason why I don't put on it is because the specific commercial thing that I'm doing, it's just not a great look for my overall profile, my overall vibe. It just wouldn't look great, but at the same time, I need the money. So I do it, you know? And um, so what I would say is that I, I'm selective to a certain extent of putting everything onto onto the same profile because I do want to grow my original side. And when I say original side, what, what, what I mean is like, so like my artist name is, is Bobby Mac. That's, that's the name of my artist and Bobby Mac and the jukes. That's the name of my band. And like, you know, yeah, we, we play a lot of jazz standards. We play a lot of songs that people have played before, but I don't see them as covers in the way, same way you do a pop cover. You know, it, it, it's, it's not the same thing. It's not an original song. I haven't written this. I don't mean it that way, but you know, when, when I do record or when we do play them, we try and do them our way and with my phrasing with with the tones the key is different you know maybe the tempo the rhythm you know dynamics whatever it, it, it's it's different and so like what i'm trying to build they're very similar in my case it's, it's not as simple as, as original songs and, and covers it's very much more like yeah i'm going to go and play a function tonight to, for a big corporate company and get paid a chunk of money and i'm going to be playing the same set as I would play when I play in the theater and I charge 20 euro in to see myself in the band and we've got a full set and, and lights and sound and, and everything to go with it. So they're not massively different for me, but there is, there is obviously a difference, but they're not massively different. So I do try and combine them in, in my case. I know a lot of artists that don't. I know a lot of artists, particularly that when they do original stuff, they just want to keep the commercial stuff miles away from it. Um, and again, I, I understand why people do that. I, I don't. I don't think. Again, I don't think it's a one rule fits all. In that case, I've seen people who do both. You know that that can do both and say, like, no one should be embarrassed to make a living. You know what I mean? You know, to make to make money off your craft or your your, your talent, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And and I suppose that's just a good place to say something that I, I did want to say is that. You know, any professional musician has any longevity in their career has done a bunch of gigs that they don't want to do. It's it's as simple as that. We may not put them up on Instagram and send show pictures and videos of them because we don't want everyone else to see them, but we all do it. We all do them. We have to have to to survive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And coming from just being uh, self-employed in general, you've always got to do bill-paying work the stuff you don't particularly love um but hopefully the more you progress in your career um the more you can turn down those bill-paying jobs and just keep your diary filled with stuff you stuff you love and stuff you want to do and stuff that pays well um but that brings me on to something i wanted to touch on um you talk about diverse diversifying and doing different things how much has that played um a part in your career
1: huge yeah really huge it, it's, it's one thing that i that I will often say to any young musician that I'm talking to, and if I can give them advice, and I, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here, but I just you know, I just stay with me for a second. So, I think diversifying is hugely important if you want to survive in relation to making money. You know, if you live at home and you don't have any expenses, you don't have any bills, you don't have any children, you know, your bills are very, very, very low you can afford to do whatever gigs you want to do then because you don't, you know, you only make as much money as you want at that point. You don't need necessarily the money when you've got responsibility, whether that be bills, like I said, an apartment, a house, whatever kids, you know, then, then, you know, you can't just work when you want to work. You got to work when the work's there, as long as the work's right for you, you got to do it. And so I suppose the diversifying basically just means that it takes a lot of massive pressure off you. It, It can give you, So many options. For example, I got a call this morning before we jumped on this for one of the gigs that I do. That wouldn't be something that I necessarily love to do. It's not necessarily my dream in life to perform these kind of gigs, but hey, I worked with this guy for two years. Every now and again, he rings me up. He says, Here's the date, here's the time, here's the fee. Go and do that for me, will you? I say, Yeah, cool. No problem. So I go and I do the gig for him. Um, and you know, I've got lots of those kind of relationships, you know, and I've got a big band, I've got a small band, I've got a solo act. I've started to do voiceovers recently. You know, there's lots of different things. They're all within the performing entertainment industry, but they, they slightly, they slightly vary. And it's just not to pigeonhole yourself, you know, and keep your options open. I mean, as a singer, you know, I'm the first guy that gets booked. So I, like I said, I can do solo. I can go and play a piano myself. I can hire a piano player. I can have a nine-piece band. I can I can do whatever I want within that. But it's it's keeping those options open. So basically, if an opportunity comes up, you just basically need to say, yeah, I can make that happen. I can look after that. I can sort that for you. I mean, I know people who are like, we're a five-piece band, and a gig comes in for a four-piece, and they won't take it. It, it. it sounds ridiculous, but it's like in their case, it's like, well, the five of us are in the band, so we, whereas... You know, in my case... Yeah,
0: I guess it just comes down to like a loyalty thing, right?
1: Absolutely. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to (laughs) criticize anyone for having a band like that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And it works absolutely fine. It's not the way I do business. I mean, I run the band myself. And so the band can be as big or small as the client needs. I mean, I obviously deal with the clients as well myself. So, you know, look, that's just my business model. It's not, not the only business model. But going back to our original point... It does help to be very versatile and it does mean that gigs are not passing you by and that you're able to keep the gig and you know and you know get paid for it basically and keep the work coming in. So I think, yeah, going back to Sarah, your point, it's really important to be um like to have a diversified portfolio without a doubt. But what I just wanted to caveat that with, and I know this is a long point. The only caveat I have to that is I would also say that to be a professional musician for a long period of time, I also think it's quite important to know what you're good at to find that early on and don't just do anything in that sense. Like knowing what you're good at is, is really important because that's the thing that will make you the most money. If that's what you're best at, that's what will make you the most money. So it's really important to know that. And that should be the center of your, your career or your your, um, portfolio. Like I said, jazz and swing, that was my thing. I learned it very early on. I was like, "Hey, I can be, I can be really good at this." And so I stayed there. I could have gone and done wedding band gigs, you know, just the pop hits, and I would have been bang average. I would have made money. I would have been able to do it. I would have been fine. But it would have been, I would have been very average, and I just wasn't happy with that. I wanted to be better than that, and so I found the thing that suited me. So I think that would be just another point on that.
0: Yeah. Great stuff, man. Um, so there was one last thing I wanted to cover with you, which I thought was really interesting when we first spoke, um, which was that the fact that you had to take a full-time job in an office so that you could, um, afford to buy your first house. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah. the most difficult 15 months of my life, Jack. <laughs> oh, um, I've never, I've never done another job ever. As I said to you, at the start of this call, you know, I started um, in the music business when I was 18 years of age, I have never done anything else. And um, so to, to have to get a full-time job to buy a house was, was heartbreaking for me. And, um, but, but basically when well, we went to the bank and we went to the brokers, just to try and talk about how this would work, they were basically, basically regardless of how much money that i made that that part was not important they wanted to know the guarantee of money for the next you know 40 years and there was only so much proof that my tax returns would give them now i'm saying this now you know there are musicians who absolutely get uh, mortgages in ireland as full-time musicians it is possible but it's very very difficult it's extremely difficult to do and it can be a very long and prolonged process so i made the decision Um, when we had my daughter and we were living in a one-bedroom apartment that uh, we needed to get a house and we needed to get a house quickly. And so between myself and my partner, we discussed and we said, look, the best way for us to do that is for me to get a job Um, for a very short period of time. um, And for you know, to get the mortgage, to get it approved. And once we got approved, then I can go back full-time doing, doing what I'm doing. I still gigged, you know, as much or very close to while I was working in the job. But yeah, I went and got a sales job, worked in a sales job for 15 months. And um, I, as somebody again, that's self-employed, I'm sure you can relate to this, someone telling you what to do. Uh, was, was difficult uh, somebody telling me when I could, could and couldn't go on holidays you know how long I could take for my lunch you know these kind of things that, they sound trivial I know most people that's their everyday life they're probably if any of them are listening to this they'll, they'll be saying what's he giving out about but you know like I said when you've been your own when you've been your own boss for, for 10 years um, it's, it's just you just get very used to it that's, that's the way you live your life and so yeah I felt really trapped uh, really trapped I felt uh, like I was being watched again, it's, you know, understandably they were paying me a wage. They so wanted to make sure I was doing my job. You know, I, I completely get it. You know, I, I don't, I've no, no bad feelings towards them about it. But at the end of the day, you know, I didn't really want to be there. Uh, I wanted to have a house, but I didn't really want to be there. But look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come on here and say I didn't do my job. I was professional. I did my job to, to a minimum level that was required. That was acceptable but I did it. You know, I made my sales. I got my sales in blah, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, it was really hard. And I think for any musician, you know, I I imagine they probably would relate to this feeling Uh, for the whole time I was there. I just felt like I was telling a lie because I was, you know, I mean, ultimately I was, but the the part that really hurt me was that since I've been 18 years of age, I'm so proud of what I do. I'm incredibly proud of what I do. It's, It's who I am. And for me to have to lie about that, for a long time was not nice. And I didn't, I did not enjoy that one bit. Um, so, and I still feel like that today. I still, I don't regret it because I have a house now for my family and I provided for them and we have a lovely home and you know, it's great, but it was hard. It was really hard. And, and I said to my partner after we, we bought the house, never again, Never again. Couldn't do it again. Once, once, was,
0: once was too many for me. When you took the job, did you know it was going to be 15 months or could, would it, could it have been much longer than that?
1: Yeah. So again, the, the, the housing situation in Ireland is absolutely horrific. Our, our housing market is just an absolute, like it's a disaster. It's a, basically, it's just an absolute disaster. Um, and so I didn't know how long it was going to take. What, what we said was, I kind of said two years. That's kind of what I'd said to myself. Um, I'm going to do this for two years because I thought that's how long it would realistically take us to get the house. Now we were very fortunate. We got a house quickly and it worked out really well. So we actually had, we actually moved into the house after a year in the job. Um, and the reason why I stayed on for for the extra three months was we just bought a, a secondhand house and we needed to put work into it. So I said, look, you know, my, my is a teacher, so she was going to be off in the summer. So I said, look, what I'll do is I'll just work an extra three months up until the summer because we had childcare organized that stage for my, my daughter as well. And so I said, look, we'll, I'll do an extra three months, get a chunk of extra money so we can, you know, get some work done as suppose when we move into this house. So, so that, was, that was the thinking. But yeah, I committed to two years. Um, so after we had the house after a year, the last three months actually were the hardest because <laughs> I knew I didn't have to be there at that stage. It was actually completely by choice. You know, they were they were the most difficult months. But um, yeah, look, it, you know, it might it might have been much longer. I don't know. I would said to myself two years, but it, I think for other guys, other musicians, it can it can be a lot longer. And sometimes they have to stay there. Sometimes they haven't got a choice.
0: Um, and did it affect? I know you said that you were still gigging sometimes, but it must have it must have been gigging less. Um we working full-time as well but um i guess you you need to stay stay out there you can't disappear because otherwise you, you're going to lose everything you've worked for already so how did you manage that
1: <laughs> lots of uh lots of tricks of the trade jack um very fortunately for me i worked from home two or three days a week which was which helped um i had flexi time so I could work up, I could stay late on a day. I wasn't gigging to be able to leave early on a day that I was gigging. Um, but there definitely was some, (laughs) there definitely was some days where I was technically on the clock and I was in the middle of, you know, Mustang Sally or something on the stage, you know? So, uh, there was definitely, definitely some crossover. Um, I didn't want to let it go. That's the truth. I didn't want to let it go. I, I was, you know, almost fighting against this. It was like, if I'm not, going to take a gig or I'm not going to do a gig because I'm sitting in an office. That was just going to kill me. That was just going to absolutely kill me. So I I was so determined not to let it affect it. It probably affected a handful. There was probably looking back, I can think of a handful that I probably just couldn't do because we had a meeting that day and I had to just say, no, you know, I I couldn't miss the meeting, but any, any other version of that, if I was at home or I could leave early at lunchtime or anything like that, I I did it. I, I made it work in whatever way I could.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, I guess the key takeaway there is that you you've got to do what you've got to do to make to make your your dreams come true, um whatever that is. And I mean, I had to sort of a similar story when it when it when COVID happened, and I was self-employed, working in my studio then. And um and COVID came and um I had no work. I couldn't work obviously, so I had to get a job uh, in a warehouse. Um and yeah, again, just got you have to do what you have to do sometimes. Yeah,
1: definitely. But I, just, I just want to touch on that as well because you know, I completely agree. And this is, I'm coming on here talking this today as somebody who's worked full time for for 11 years. I would never have any judgment for somebody who needs to supplement their income and wants to work work something else to to, to work in the music. A lot of original artists, for example, they feel that way. We talked about it earlier on. They feel like doing covers and all. It's just, they don't want to do that. They want to work in a cafe and then do their original music at nighttime. And like, that's, listen, that's that's a life for people as well. and That's completely cool. I suppose for me, my mindset and my attitude has always been towards it, is that I want to make money from my talent and my craft. That's what I want to make money from, nothing else. And so you can do that. You've got to diversify, but you can, if you have talent, you can do it. You absolutely can do it, but you've got to be open-minded. You've got to do other things. But yeah, that was, my, I was stubborn about that. That was something I said to myself, I'm going to make money from my talent, whatever way I have to do it, find a way, find a way because I don't want to do anything else.
0: Yeah, good stuff, man. Um, so just to move on slightly from that now, um, what's coming up in the future for you? Have you got much planned for next year? Mm.
1: Yeah, so we've got basically, like I said, the Christmas season is what's coming up now, basically next few weeks. So I'll just be head down for all of that. But going into the new year, yeah, a few, a few different things. We're going to be, I'm going to be going back up to dairy, Jazz Festival in um in May, in the May Bank holiday, um up in Northern Ireland. Um and so yeah, really, really looking forward to that. Um I was there myself solo last year, but this year I'm bringing bringing the band, which I'm really, really excited about. So that's in, in May of, of next year. Um and then I've also, like I said, I've got one or two two shows that I really want to start pushing from next year. One of them, for example, is a, is the kind of Nat King Cole songbook um, that, I, that I debuted this year and um, something that I'm looking to bring. It's something that I'd really love to, to do in the UK as well. Uh, there's something about the, the, the interracial thing that, that I like about it as well. Cause when I do shows like that, it's like, I don't do a tribute where I need to look like them or dress like them. It's like a tribute to me is me going, I love your music. And I want to do as much justice to it as I possibly can. And so, yeah, there's something about that that I love. I used to do a Gregory Porter show as well. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm big into that kind of music, but um, yeah, the Nat King Cole thing is something I'm looking to, to possibly push next year and see, can I get a few dates in for that?
0: Awesome, man. Um, so I guess just to finish things off, I think we touched on this a bit earlier with some of your bad gigs or some of the bad experiences anyway. Um, but um yeah have you got any any good stories from great gigs you've you've played that you'd like to share with us
1: yeah best gig um i mean our debut our first year at the cork guinness jazz festival and it's every october bank holiday it was our first time doing it back in 2019 um 2019 and yeah we played to one of the biggest venues there there was about a thousand people in the audience you know we got up we plugged in. I just remember turning around and smiling at my band and just kind of saying, let's go, let's do it, let's just enjoy this. And we did. We had an absolute ball. That was, that was one of my highlights because getting into that festival was such a huge achievement for me it was something that I'd strived to do for a long time. So I was just so proud and so happy to do it. And then the other, the other one that jumps out to me is my first ever theater show. Um, it was in, 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 the, in the theater that I used to do my, my drama and my musicals in from the age of 10, 11, 12 and um, there i was doing a show there with my own name on it, sold out with my band on the stage playing all the music that i love so that was another special special night for me yeah
0: definitely nice man um so i guess just to finish things off um if people wanted to connect with you or find out more about you where would you send them
1: yeah so the website bobby you'll find everything you want on there or you can get me on Instagram. It's Bobby Mac, that's B-O-B-B-Y-M-C underscore music. That's where you'll find my Instagram page.
0: Nice, man. Awesome. It's been a a real pleasure talking to you. So thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Jack. Cheers for having me.
0: So there we go. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Bob is a super interesting guy and I really enjoyed talking to him. If you missed any of the links that he mentioned, you can find them on my website, which is www.infocusrecordingcompany.co.uk. And as ever, if you want to see what I get up to, you can follow me on Instagram at in Focus Co. That's a CEO at the end there. Um, I'm going to be posting more, more content there that will hopefully be helpful in growing your business. Um, I've got lots of ideas there as well, so definitely give me a follow. Oh, and sometimes I post pictures of my really cute puppy, so if that's not enough of a reason, then I don't know what is. Um, anyways, I think that's all I've got to say. So I'll catch you next week for episode three.